It may be hard to understand for those of you who are younger, but there was a time when there wasn't cable TV. No Netflix, no YouTube, no streaming. And there was also a time when I can remember when we only had four or five channels. I know it sounds like a nightmare, does it not? But the fact is, is growing up, I remember watching Sesame Street. I made reference to The Count a few weeks ago. I like The Count. I like Bert and Ernie. I like Big Bird. I even liked Oscar the Grouch. But another show that would always come on immediately before or immediately after Sesame Street was Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And I recently read a biography of Fred Rogers, which was fascinating to read. And in it, he said that there are three keys to success. Number one, be kind. Number two, be kind. Guess what number three is? Be kind. And Mr. Rogers would welcome you into his neighborhood every day for a 30-minute period. He would teach you certain values that were generally wholesome and generally good. And he would say in song and also in word that you are special. And in spite of all of our differences... In spite of the fact that we come from different backgrounds, different upbringings, different races, and different preferences, you are special. And that resonated with me. Now, sometimes people will say that you're a little bit special and they mean something a little bit different. But you are special. You're special to me and you are special to every member of this church, whether you are in the auditorium or in the parking lot or streaming from home, you are special. But the fact is, is we are different. And because we are different in various ways, it is our responsibility to make sure that we accept one another for our differences in upbringing and race and preferences. Because we are all about accepting our brethren, which is what we're talking about today. And I invite you to take your Bibles and open, if you'd like to, to the book of Ephesians chapter 4, where we'll read in just a couple of moments, beginning in those first three verses of Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. Thank you so much for being here. As Brother Danny has prayed and has welcomed you, we welcome you as well. We have visitors who are with us, and we are appreciative of your uh, concern for spiritual things. And for those of you that are here in the auditorium, in the parking lot, those of you watching from home, we're thankful that you have taken the time to be a part of what we're doing together here at Northfield Boulevard. When we think about accepting our brethren, we're going to think about it in two ways this morning. We're going to think about it both in a principled term, but also in a very practical or pragmatic way as well. I don't have to tell you, as I've already illustrated in our introduction this morning, that people are different. We're all different in different ways. We're different in the way that we were brought up. Some were brought up sitting on a pew, and were brought up in a religious or spiritual environment. And that's some of you who are here this morning, and some of you, you married maybe someone who was a member of the church, and consequently you were taught about uh, what the church is about. Or maybe you dated someone, or maybe you had a friend who taught you the truth. 
And so we come from different backgrounds. Sometimes we don't talk about this, but we have differences because of our race or our ethnicities. And that makes us a little bit different as well. And this is something that I really want us to think about this morning, that sometimes we are simply different because of our preferences. Not a matter of right or wrong, the color of carpet that we like in the building, whether we choose to wear a tie or not. The fact is, is our life experiences that our brother talked about in, in the Lord's Supper, uh, our upbringing, our race, our preferences, those are all things that make us different. And differences are not necessarily a bad thing because God, after all, made the church up of people who come from a lot of different backgrounds. And you read about the church at Corinth, for example, where in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where he says, such were some of you. And he talks about people who came from these very sordid backgrounds of all kinds of different sin in which they were involved. So I want us to look at some principles for accepting our brethren, because I believe that scripture notes that this is cause for potential conflict. Rather than it being celebrated that we are a little bit different, we have different backgrounds, this is a source of conflict. And if we're not careful, we'll allow it to get the better of ourselves. And so I believe that Scripture provides us with some principles and practices to avoid such conflict. I want to look at three major biblical principles this morning that help us to understand the nature of Christian acceptance. I want to start here in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1 where the Apostle Paul, in writing to the church at Ephesus, says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. And then notice verse 3. He says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So the first principle is that God desires unity among his children. Even though we have different upbringings, different life experiences, different preferences, different ethnicities, God says, I want you to be unified. I want you to have the same mind. I remember the comment of an elder who years and years ago, uh, serving as an elder, he said he believed that the greatest charge that he and his fellow shepherds had was making sure Ephesians 4, verse 3, was ascribed to. Unifying the brethren. Making sure that we are all on the same page. Not just that we are all serving God and following the Bible, but that we are all getting along and working together with one another. And we don't have to go very far to read in the New Testament about individuals who were not unified and the devastating results of it. I put up there, I should have just put up there 1 Corinthians. But if you look at chapter 1, you look at chapter 3, you look at chapter 6, you look at chapter 8, you look at 11, you look at 12, you look at 15, and in between, and what you see is a picture of a church that was splintered, that was not unified. Now, that was in large part because of their misunderstanding of the commands that they had been given. And so they write this letter to Paul and say, what is it that we're doing wrong? Please help us to correct us so that we might be able to do what is right. Paul says, you may not have wished for that because it's a lengthy letter. 
And for 16 chapters, Paul goes on and on talking to them about the mistakes that they were making because they were divided. You have famously there in 1 Corinthians chapters 1 and 3, where the apostle who's inspired is writing based on what the Holy Spirit is conducting him or helping him to write. He says, I urge you that you speak the same thing so that there are no divisions among you. Chapter 1, verse 10 but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. He says, because I've heard a report that you are divided over certain things. And I don't want you to be divided over the truth or over preferences or over ethnicities. I don't want you to be divided. I want you to be unified on the same page. So God desires unity among his children. That's very clear. Secondly, we need to appreciate that God desires mutuality among his children. Now, mutual is just a kind of a fancy word for everybody having equity or having a part. And so if you are a subscriber or a contributor to a mutual fund in your 401k or your IRA, or you just buy mutual funds as an outside investment, you are pooling your money with others for the benefit of mutual growth for all parties involved. The same thing for a mutual life insurance policy that everybody benefits from the risk that everybody is taking in that particular policy. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 6, Paul talks about this a lot. And we typically read verses 1 and 2, and I'm as guilty of it as anybody else without considering what happens in the following verses. But Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 is where Paul famously says, I am beseeching you or I'm begging you or I'm pleading with you that by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Verse 2 is equally familiar where he says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, verse 3, continuing this thought, for I say, verse 3, through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body... I want to take a little bit of liberty with the text today. For we, for as we have many members at Northfield Boulevard, but all the members do not have the same function. So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and individually we are members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. The point being is whatever your talent is, whatever your gift is, whatever your ability is, whatever your uh, individual component of the puzzle is, do it to the best of your ability. And work as hard to make that happen. That's not just true in principle, but that is true, or it must be true in practice at Northfield Boulevard, that we are mutual with one another. We noted the context here that Christians are to behave differently, and differently from the world is what we mean by that. 
And we as Christians, we need each other, do we not? In fact, Hebrews chapter 10 says that we are to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but rather we are to exhort one another, not provoking one another in a bad way, but we are here today to provoke one another in a good way. We are here to help one another. That's true for those in the auditorium, for those in the parking lot, for those who are streaming at home, because as we have uh, said today to our God and we have said to each other, we are one. And so we have a mutual relationship with each other. Why do we announce that someone has been diagnosed with the virus? Because we care about that person. And we want to share in that suffering. Why do we announce when someone has lost a loved one? Because we care about that and we share in that mutual woes as we sing sometimes. It's not just the, the, the unfortunate things that we share. One of our members is sporting new hardware on her left hand. One of our members had a cake yesterday. And cut it open and it was pink inside. And that's exciting as well. And we share in the joy of that news. And so we rejoice with those who rejoice. We weep with those who weep. The fact is, is that we are mutually related to one another. And then thirdly, God not only desires unity and a mutual sense of working together, but he desires growth among his children. Go back to Ephesians chapter 4, where we read the first three verses. And I want us to drop down a couple of verses in the text in Ephesians chapter 4. And I want us to read verses 11 through 16. It's a rather familiar text to us. And he says, He gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers for the purpose of equipping the saints. For the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, until we have come to the, there's the word again, unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children. No longer be children. But, he says, who were tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but instead speaking the truth in love and grow up. In all things unto him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined in it together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. There's some key phrases there, and we can really delve into Ephesians chapter 4 and talk about the idea of unity, growing up, not being babes in Christ, and then edifying for the cause of growth, for the cause of Christ. Note, if you would, that there is a cause or effect relationship that is going on here. We've said that Christians are different, Romans chapter 12. And we have also said that Christians are to appreciate the differences that we have because of our opinions, because of our upbringings, because of our ethnicity, or because of our uh, life experiences. And that is not something to be uh, uh, squashed, but rather Paul says you're different and that you all have these different abilities, whether you're in the parking lot or streaming or in the auditorium, but you are all for the purpose of causing growth of the body.
That's what the principle of growth is all about, that we are constantly concerned with the growth of the body of Jesus Christ. Now, there are so many ways that we can think about those particular things, but I want us to think about them in terms of practices and consider, if you would, three practices to put into practice accepting our brethren. Number one, we should be prepared for weaker Christians that come from varied backgrounds. We should be prepared for weaker Christians that come from varied backgrounds. I want to turn over to Romans chapter 14. You knew that we were going to look at Romans 14 at one point or another, right? But in Romans chapter 14, I want us just to read the first verse. We could read the entire chapter because there's so much in that particular text. But he says, receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. Note, if you would, that Paul here is not suggesting that we overlook sin, but rather that when we have differences, that we are willing to see the other side. That when a person has a different life experience, that when a person has a different race, that when a person has a different upbringing, and the chances of a person who did not, quote, grow up sitting on the pew having a lot of common with someone who did sit on the pew, you're going to have some conflict. You're going to have some differences of opinion. But we need to understand that rather than that being a bad thing, we are to receive one who is weak in the faith, not to disputes over doubtful things. Now, Romans chapter 14 is a text that is often misused to suggest that, hey, you've got a difference of opinion on the scripture, that Romans 14 tells me I can't tell you wrong. You believe that baptism isn't necessary for salvation? Well, who am I to tell you? You believe that uh, it doesn't matter how many times the person's been married or divorced and that it doesn't matter the, the status of the relationship? Well, Romans 14 tells me that's not what Romans 14 is teaching. And so it has been misused. I, I was thinking about this, and I couldn't help but think about Acts chapter 19. If you want to turn over there and read that sometime uh, today or this week. But Acts 19 is an, is an example of Apollos who didn't know and who was weaker and who was corrected by individuals who cared about him and who obviously cared enough to do it in the spirit of correction and did it with a spirit of kindness in correcting him. We need to understand that sometimes people are going to come from different backgrounds and we need to be prepared to share with them the Bible, but also understand that just because they have a difference of opinion on a matter that is non-biblical in nature doesn't make you right and make them wrong or vice versa. More about that in our closing. Secondly, we need to appreciate that of practices to practice, we need to remember that accepting brethren requires effort. It is not something that happens just because we show up to services. Rather, it happens, I would argue, more likely when we leave the confines of this building. Turn a page over in your Bibles to Romans chapter 15 and verse 7. Romans 15, verse 7. By the way, let's back up to verse 5. May God, may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another. There it is again. According to Christ Jesus, that you may be with one mind, there it is, and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, 
given the fact that you're striving for unity, mutuality, and growth, the three principles we've talked about, therefore, receive one another. He says, receive one another, just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. If you're reading from the English Standard Version, it has the word welcome. Welcome one another. We are to be welcoming to our brethren. Whether that be here when we see one another, whether that be in our homes, whether that be in our text messages, whether that be in our emails, whether that be in our phone calls, we are to welcome one another. We are to have a spirit of welcoming and acceptance. In Acts chapter 9, you remember the example of Barnabas and Saul. Remember Saul, when he tried to show up at church services the first time? And I'm being a little bit facetious because he didn't show up at church services in the traditional way that we understand. He, he shows up among the assembly, right? And what do the members say? Oh, no, this guy has a horrible reputation. He's here to trick us. And, and, and Saul says, no, I'm here as a, as a fellow member. I've converted. I'm no longer of that other way. I am of the way. Capital W-A-Y. And they say, no, you're not. He's here to trick us. And Barnabas says, guys, guys, take a deep breath. He's one of us. He's a good guy now. He switched teams. He's now on our side. That welcoming spirit, no wonder why Barnabas is the idea of son of encouragement. Because he was welcoming and he was accepting. Thirdly, we must note that our ultimate goal is to be like Jesus Christ. Stay right there in Romans chapter 15 verse 7. Therefore receive one another. Notice the second part of the phrase, just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. If you're reading from the New American Standard, it says, just as Christ also accepted us. Now, does Jesus accept sin? No. Will Jesus be okay with a person who is involved in sin? No. But does Jesus accept us? Absolutely he does. Once we make that change and say, I'm ready to serve you, I'm ready to dedicate my life to you, he says, Come unto me, all you that labor. I will give you rest. I will accept you. We are accepted into the family. There's a song that we sing sometimes. We're part of the family. That's on its way home. And we are part of a family. That family is in the auditorium. That family is in the parking lot. That family is those of you who are unable to be out and who are at home right now. We are all part of that family. And the fact of the matter is, is just as Christ accepted us, how did he accept us? Let me suggest that he was compassionate, that he was patient, and that he was forgiving. So what does that mean for us? That means that we've got hard work to do. That means I've got to be compassionate to people who have differences of opinion. That means I've got to be patient with people who have differences of opinion. And it means I've got to be forgiving. Perhaps when I misjudge or judge the motive of someone in an inappropriate way. These are practices to practice. And I would argue that those practices are perhaps more important now 
in 2020 than they've ever been before. <clears throat> Throughout the history of the church, over 2,000 years, there have been occasions where churches have not allowed themselves to experience unity, mutuality, and growth. And Satan does everything he can to destroy the unity, the mutuality, and the attempted growth of the Northfield Boulevard Church of Christ. I guarantee you. At the very least, let me suggest, we must acknowledge that when it comes to the virus that exists, that we must be respectful of others. It is undeniable that there are some saints who have less concern for themselves about the coronavirus and consequently are reluctant to take as many precautions related to its potential spread as others. It is also quite true that there are some saints who have serious concerns about the virus and take strong precautions to protect themselves and others from infection. Early on this year, when the virus was first showing itself to be a formidable opponent to the health of Americans, it was noted by many Christians that we cannot and we must not allow it to serve as a distraction. Distraction, after all, is one of Satan's favorite and most effective tools. What's so dangerous about distraction is that it keeps us from doing what we ought to be doing, inviting others to worship or study, being diligent in prayer, dedicated to personal study, or working to encourage and to build up others. Differences of opinion on the issue of masks must never be allowed to divide us as a people of God. As we do often in public prayer, let us make sure that we do all that we can to support our shepherds. Their jobs are not easy. We should do all that we can to encourage them. That doesn't mean that we can't share with them when we disagree on matters about how many services we should have or whether face coverings will be mandatory or not. After all, our pastors have routinely asked for feedback as they navigate these unprecedented times. We must, however, work to support our elders who will give an account for each of us. They care deeply about each soul here. Remember, we are to obey those who rule over us and let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that will be unprofitable for us according to Hebrews 13, 17. Rather, let us strive to be like Aaron and her, who in Exodus 17 held the hands up of Moses to ensure victory. The Lord is my banner. Let us hold up the hands of John, Gerald, and Phil 
and do all that we can to encourage them during this and all times. When it comes to the relationship between one another, remember that we strive for unity, never for division. For those who feel strongly that masks need to be worn, we don't question their motives. Nor do we question the motives of those who don't want to wear masks. For those in the parking lot, for those in the auditorium, for those in their homes, we do not question motives. Instead, may all men and women render glory to God where it belongs. Beloved at Northfield Boulevard, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love God does not know God, for God is love. In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, at Northfield Boulevard, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Let us strive to do that. Let us be a people who are united because I guarantee you that if there's any crack of division among brothers here, Satan will use it for his advantage. And he'll do all that he can to destroy this good church. This is a good church because it is a church that is dedicated to doing what Christ has asked us to do. Not because I say it or someone else, but because we can find in scriptures what are necessary to please God. And we're trying to do that. And whether you are here in the auditorium, whether you are in the parking lot, whether you are at home, we are one. United in service and truth and love. If we can help you to be a Christian... And to join that unity, that mutuality, and that growth, we would welcome the opportunity to help you, to study with you. If as a Christian you are discouraged because of things going on in the world, that's okay to be a little bit discouraged. I think that's natural, right? But don't allow Satan to have the heyday or the last word. Fight back as we will choose to do. If you are not a Christian, become one today by being baptized to have your sins washed away. If you are a Christian, as we started, you're special. And keep up the good work. And remain united in this cause. I appreciate your kind attention today. And if we can help anybody to become a Christian or a stronger Christian by praying for you, we welcome the opportunity to do so while we stand and while we sing.